Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and this is the Source Seed Pod podcast. All right, guys. Uh, this is the Sower Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean. And there's a subject that I've been led to cover. It's not one that I want to cover because it's, frankly, it's going to be very offensive to a lot of my friends who believe that they're Christians. And I'm not a big fan of... I guess you'd say uh, uh, rocking the boat when it comes to anything that might be perceived as dogging on or belittling other believers. I even, at one point, I had tried to dance around the subject a little bit in a uh, social media post by pointing out that anything, any religion that needs to have any other writings, documentation, books, pamphlets, leaflets, anything else outside of the Bible in order to justify their beliefs is not Christianity. And some folks immediately came back with, oh, but you need to understand that you know the writings of Joseph Smith were... Ladies and gentlemen, it's true. If your faith is dependent on any writings outside of the Bible, your faith is not Christian. And I understand that this is going to make some folks very angry, and I apologize for hurting your feelings in advance, but understand very clearly that I am being called to make this distinction out of love. Because the fact is that God does not want anyone to perish. Now, before I go any further, I need to point out that this is not to say that there are not people within these extra-biblical denominations that can't come to faith in Jesus and be saved. It's when when those same individuals start subscribing to ideas that are outside of the Bible and accepting that as part of your faith and as part of your religion and and accepting things that are outside of the Bible as scripture, as holy word or holy declaration, is where we start getting into trouble. Now, I would like to clarify something. Oftentimes you will hear me 
cite the works of A.W. Tozer or perhaps Charles Spurgeon, John Piper, other greats of the Christian faith, if you will. But understand very clearly that there is a distinction between citing them and basing any aspect of my faith on their writings or their works. Because understand very clearly, folks, that if anything that Charles Spurgeon ever said went against the Bible, it would be rejected. Outright rejected. Now again, keep in mind, I'm not talking about these prosperity doctrine churches. I've, I've covered that in another podcast, and I'm not going to go back into that. I'm talking about a number of groups that claim to be under the umbrella of Christianity, when in fact their extra-biblical writings that they accept as, as Scripture, or on the same level as Scripture, or in some cases authoritative over Scripture. And I just, I, I, can't, I can't understand how anyone can claim to be a follower of Christ to say that their, their faith is based on Scripture as well as these other extra-biblical writings that are antithetical to Scripture. I have no idea how that works, but let me give you some examples. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not trying to pick on you if you fall into one of these categories, and I'm not going to cover all of them. I don't have the time to. But there are some very distinct things about some of these cults, and that's what they are. They are cults that claim to be Christian that are completely and totally antithetical to Scripture. And I can't remain silent about it. So the first ones that I wanted to talk about are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, the first thing is, that's that's a real fancy name because, you know, when, when you look, I mean, it, it invokes the name of Jehovah. That's, that's our God. Um, some would state that Jehovah is uh, another pronunciation of Yahweh. And, and these, these folks claim to be his witnesses. But there are a handful of glaring inconsistencies in their faith that are completely and entirely antithetical to Scripture. For example, one of their extra-biblical writings called Reasoning from the Scriptures was written in 1985. On page 306 says, Jesus was only a perfect man, not God in the flesh. And that actually is based upon a, a, a deep-seated belief of theirs that is, again, uh, uh, called out 
in the May 15th, 1963 issue of the Watchtower. Jesus was Michael the Archangel who became a man. Now, I cannot, I, I look, I'm not going to say that I have exhausted every shred of scripture to try to figure out where in the blazes that came from. Because, listen, there are some things about these, these religions that may be misguided, but at least have a basis in scripture. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses tend to be at least in their dietary restrictions, they tend to be at least uh, adhering to kosher law. They won't eat pork, they won't eat shellfish, those kinds of things. And we can debate whether or not that is uh, a requirement, but in the final analysis, your salvation and your faith are not going to be hinging on your dietary requirements. Obviously, Jehovah's Witnesses worship on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. Again, there is a foundation and a grounding for that in Scripture. So, I'm not going to hinge my definition of that faith as a cult on something that is, in fact, founded in Scripture. What I do take exception to are the faiths and beliefs that are taught that are completely antithetical to Scripture in any way, shape, or form i.e. that Jesus was Michael the archangel who became a man. No. The Bible is very clear about this. Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is the Lord that is spoken of countless times in the Old Testament. Capital L, Lord. They believe also that he was a created man. That uh, Jesus was the only thing that was in fact created by God, and then therefore everything else was created through him. However, John 1 verses 1 through 3 are very explicit. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the LDS have, uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have literally rewritten the Bible, the New Living Translation. They've written, or, New Living Translation, or I forget now which version it is, and I apologize for that. But they've they've rewritten their Bible so that it's now it now reads in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was a God, which right there first and foremost automatically negates eighty percent of the Old Testament that says there is one God, not multiple gods. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Meaning that everything that was made was made through the aspect of God that we refer to as Jesus Christ, the Son. So that means everything that was made. Not that something was made and then made everything else. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not trying to dog on any one individual. I'm trying to point out how incredibly misleading and dangerous some of these cults are. Let me move on to the Mormons. And again, this is a touchy subject. I have several friends that are Mormons. They are what you would typically refer to as good people. The Mormon faith in general tends to be incredibly community-oriented. But they've got some major issues with the keystone aspects of their faith. And let me give you an example. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon faith, wrote that God himself was once as we are now. And I'm going to stop there for just one second. Because this, kind of like the prosperity doctrine, has just a little sliver of, of contact with what Scripture says. Because Scripture does say that as God is... Now, so will we be. Okay. But again, if you don't look at it in the entire context, that's how you get this. God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned on yonder heavens. Now, again, that is completely and entirely antithetical to Scripture. Scripture says that God created man. He created everything. How then could he create himself and then exalt himself to the position of creator? It can't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. It is believed by Mormons that the Book of Mormon is, and I quote, the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion. Forget the fact that it's been revised a number of times. And again, I'm not talking about translations of the Bible. I'm talking about the Book of Mormon has been rewritten a number of times because... Apparently, their idea of God 
changes, meaning that God changes. But again, Scripture tells us very specifically that God is the same. The same God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden as blessed David, as turned his back on Jesus on the cross, as governs in heaven, and, and as will ultimately be the, the same deity, the same, I hate to use the word person, but the same person that we're going to be spending the rest of eternity worshiping. God doesn't change. And again, the Bible is very specific about that. But the Book of Mormon isn't. And the Book of Mormon isn't the only canonized extra-biblical writing that the Mormons have to use in order to justify the things that they do. The aspects of their faith that don't line up with the Bible. They have to create extra books to, to justify what they're doing. So back in the 1800s, one of their uh, official publications, referred to as The Pearls of Great Price, was used to prevent African Americans, arguably all people of color, but apparently they called out blacks specifically, stating that their, their, their spirits were not as advanced, advanced or, or evolved as a white man's spirit, and therefore couldn't be uh, a pastor or a deacon or, or could not be sealed in the church, could not, uh, literally at one point in time, couldn't even pray for salvation of the dead, which is a completely different topic. But I mean, quite literally, because it was justified by this particular writing, the church was allowed to discriminate against blacks. And, and blacks were basically only allowed to be a part of the church, and that was it. They were allowed to worship and pay their tithes. That was it. They couldn't receive any of the benefit of being Mormon. Now, that changed in September of 1978. The LDS Church at its general conference on September 30th, 1978, through the process of common consent, issued and adopted and canonized the, quote, official declaration to, end quote. This is one more example of how Men have to change what God is saying and what God believes in order to justify what they believe. When 2,000 years-ish earlier, Jesus said, love your neighbor, meaning everybody, even the Samaritan down the street. When Paul wrote, there is no difference between Jews or Greeks. We're all 
equally screwed up in sin. And we are all equally available to receive his grace regardless of any other characteristic. And that, again, God has been constant from the very day that he he expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. Nothing about him has changed. But when you've got men who have to write extra books and writings and pamphlets and scriptures to be able to justify their faiths and their beliefs, these things are they're going to change constantly because men change constantly. Back in the 1800s, it was okay to say that blacks couldn't be pastors or priests or deacons or whatever. It was okay back then. But man's understanding of what love your neighbor means changed. Whether they were aware of that's what was going on or not doesn't matter. The fact is that suddenly, out of the clear blue sky, this nation as a whole woke up and realized it's not okay to discriminate against somebody based on the color of their skin. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, the LDS church decides, well, we better get caught up. We need to change what God told us. And again, that's antithetical to Scripture, folks. That is man putting themselves above God. And finally, I need to touch on, quite literally, the biggest Christian cult in the world. I have a number of friends that consider themselves to be Catholic, and again, guys, I mean no disrespect to you personally. But there is too much that has been going on in the Catholic Church for centuries that is completely and entirely antithetical to Scripture. Let me give you some examples. In the Catholic canon number nine, you're going to find this sentence. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, let him be damned. Yet the entirety of the New Testament is literally about nothing but faith alone in Jesus alone. The Catholics are incredibly huge on their salvation being constantly renewed and jeopardized and being purged through works. And look, again, I, I will acknowledge that there is some tie to that in Scripture. But at no point does it say that we can lose our salvation if we don't perform enough good works. In fact, it says quite the opposite. And if nothing else, and I know 
Catholics in general, I'm sure, are, are sick of hearing about this one specific example as it relates to works, and that, that's the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He had faith that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And even though he stood convicted of murder or theft or any number of other things, he said to Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise. In other words, I have faith that you are, in fact, the Christ. And that you will be in heaven. He didn't ask for anything for himself, but Jesus looked at him and said, I tell you the truth, that today you will be with me in paradise. That man did not have an opportunity to do anything else. He, the Bible doesn't record that he confessed his sins to a priest. He simply had faith in Jesus and was saved. But let's continue on in a couple of different antithetical aspects of the Catholic faith. Praying to saints. I don't even know where that came from. I have scoured the scripture and cannot find Anything that indicates that we are supposed to pray to dead saints to intercede on our behalf before God. In fact, the Bible specifically calls out that Jesus is our high priest. He alone intercedes between us and God. Now, I'm not going to get into the other aspect of that. If you're, if you're listening to this and you've, you've heard these arguments, you know what the next issue with Catholicism is in regard to praying to the saints. I'm not going there today. The next issue I want to cover is purgatory. The Trentine Creed of Pius IV in A.D. 1564 says, and I quote, I constantly hold that there is a purgatory and that the souls therein detained are helped by the suffrages of the faithful. And again, I can't find that in Scripture anywhere. I cannot even find any shred of scripture that might even hint that there is a purgatory or that just like with the LDS, you can pray somebody else out of whatever non-heaven afterlife you believe in. It's not there. But because we've got authority as men over the word of God, we can just declare that it is. See, that's, that's what the convenient part about these cults. And it's the one thing that all cults have in common, is that they are created by men to further their own goals. They completely 
ignore what Scripture says, maybe in part, maybe in whole, but they will ignore what Scripture says so that they can get what they want out of their God. But I, I, I tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. If the God that you're worshiping, the Jesus that you're worshiping, the spirit that you won't even acknowledge exists is not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the Holy Bible, you aren't Christian. Because you're not worshiping the God or the Christ of the Bible. And that brings us to the 1495th Catechism that says only priests who have received the faculty of absolving from the authority of the church can forgive sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Which again, ladies and gentlemen, is completely and totally antithetical to Scripture. The first thing you'll notice about that is they receive their authority from the church. Not from God. And then it says only priests can forgive sins in the name of Christ. Now, listen very carefully, folks. I'm not trying to tell you that I have any authority to forgive sins. And the reason why I don't have authority to forgive sins is because I myself am a sinner. And by extension, I myself am not God. And that was one of the big issues between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders of his time was that he claimed to be God and stated outright, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. And the only reason he was able to do that is because his authority is his own authority as God made flesh. And the, the Jewish leaders of that time even said specifically that only God has the ability to forgive sin. And yet here is this quote unquote man who not only forgave sin, but healed this guy. He wasn't a priest. The priests didn't have the authority to forgive sin. No man does. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know I'm running long and I've got to wrap this thing up, but listen, if you are a Jehovah's Witness and you're listening to this today, if you are a Mormon and you are listening to this today, if you are a Catholic and you are listening to this today, or if anything that I have said has triggered you to analyze your own faith, your own religion, one, I apologize for making you uncomfortable, but I assure you, I was uncomfortable putting this headset on today because I knew where I was going with this. And this is one that Jesus has been just absolutely yelling at me to get done. But I've been reluctant. But ladies and gentlemen, I assure you, that every aspect of my faith as a Christian will stand up against the Bible. And if it doesn't, 
It's not the Bible that needs to be changed. It's not scripture that needs to be changed. It's me that needs to be changed. If what I believe, if what I know, if what I surmise, what I guess, what I believe is not sanctioned by the Bible, it needs to go. And yes, I'll be the first to admit there are certain pieces of scripture that sometimes we have to kind of take either by faith or we have to work out what our understanding of that scripture is based on other scripture. My point is that if that scripture or that belief comes from outside the Bible or is antithetical to Scripture, it has to go. And I assure you that if you get rid of everything that is antithetical to Scripture, that only leaves you with the Bible and Christianity. Catholicism disappears, LDS disappears, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses disappear. Because the moment you remove those things, their entire faith system falls apart. And they're left just with God's word. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be the first step toward a much larger revival in this nation. When we as individuals that proclaim the name of Jesus and call ourselves Christians can actually get on the same page because those pages haven't changed in 4,000 years. Because they were written by divine inspiration. They are the word of God. And God does not change. And that's the important thing, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't change. If your faith changes, it's because man had his hand in it at some point. Either before or after. But when you look past the teachings of men and only look specifically at the Scripture and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then you begin to understand. Then you're set free. Then you find salvation. So forgive me a little bit of a sorry, not sorry. If I have offended you, I apologize. If I've made you think, I'm glad. This has been the Sower Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean.